0: Okay, let's start with a joke. Who was the very first person who ever used any type of technology? You ready? Moses, he had two tablets that were connected to the cloud. Yeah, all right. A few years ago, you would have been like, what? I don't get it, why should that even be funny? The reason is that technology has its own lingo. We put things in the cloud, we digitize books, rankify, as in, I got a new job, so I was managed to rankify a new house. Or how about breadcrumbs? We leave them all over the internet. High res, use that in a sentence. The game was so high res, I actually thought I was there. We live in the Apple or Android ecosystem. We post on social and we take selfies. So let's shift gears to your privacy and security and the hackers and the scammers who just want your money. The cybersecurity industry has its own lingo too dark web, white hat, black hat, VPN, exploit, breach, firewall, penetration testing, malware, bots, rootkits, DDoS, and more. If you're gonna live in this tech world, as we are all doing, you need to know the cybersecurity lingo too. That's why Ite Mayor is joining us. He's one of the world's leading experts on cybersecurity. So coming up, the top 10 cybersecurity terms you need to know and how to protect yourself from all the threats. And in just a second, A really, really bad cybersecurity joke you're not going to want to miss. Hey, it's Kim Commando Explains. You probably got the Moses joke. But since we're talking about cybersecurity, here's another one. Are you ready? A hacker was talking to his friends over chat and said, I wrote a bot script to get past the web security. And get this, so far, it's managed to evade CAPTCHA. Oh, I know. I hope you have your thinking caps on because we're going to school you on cybersecurity terms that you're going to hear or maybe even use. I'm going to throw the words out and then Itai Mayor is going to break each one down. Are you ready? Okay, so let's start at the very beginning. 2FA slash OTP, right? Two-factor authentication, a one-time password. How would you define that?
1: so two-factor authentication one-time password or sometimes also referred to as mfa multi-factor authentication is simply a way for um, organizations or services to authenticate you and it all starts from uh, the three forms of authentication something you know something you have or something that you are and that's why you sign see two-factor authentication because you need two of those factors know have or are in order to authenticate somebody. Now, this all might sound like, hey, it's all around computers, but actually everybody has been using two-factor authentication for forever, right? You go to an ATM, you're using a card, something you have, mm-hmm. and a password, uh, the number, something you know, so two-factor authentication, right? You go to an airport, you hand TSA uh, or, or Border Patrol your uh, passport something you have, your passport, and they look at the picture and they validate that it is indeed something you are, the same, the same person. Um, and that's where also one-time password comes in. And that is a way to send you each time a different password, right? We've seen this both in mail and mobile devices where there's a randomly generated number which is being sent to you in order to validate you. And while I'm not gonna go into different services and everything uh, in these definitions, I think it's important to note if you have an opportunity to use a one-time password for authentication, use it. It makes life much harder for uh, sure a does. threat actor to, to, to become you, to, uh, to authenticate as you, because that password is generated every time differently, and so they would need access to your email or mobile device in order to uh, overcome that authentication.
0: And see, a lot of people, they say, well, you know, it's just not worth my time. Okay, but it is worth the time. Now, um, of course, we have two-factor authentication that sets up on all our accounts, in which, by the way, folks, if you're not sure how to do that, we have the steps over at commando.com. But, you know, there's been a real movement against two-factor authentication because the whole idea is that they're going to send you a text, they being the site, will send you a text with a six-digit number, what have you. And so a lot of people are now moving towards the Google Authenticator app. Right,
1: and that's another form of, of, of uh, two-factor authentication. You know, there's also an argument, and I sometimes argue it as well, when uh, that one-time password isn't really something that you have, like the app or that random-generated number key fob. It's actually, as soon as a human reads it, it becomes something you know. And if it becomes something you know, an attacker can steal that from you. And so there's also an argument to be made, is it really something you have or something you know, regardless. It, makes, it does make life harder for an attacker. And I can tell you that a lot of organizations and a lot of applications that you use on a daily basis add another layers, other layers of authentication, such as uh, behavioral authentication or behavioral biometrics, where they will look at things like, how do you move your mouse or how fast do you swipe your finger on your phone In order to understand, is this really the person who is claiming to be? So there's also a lot of authentication happening on the background with zero. It's called frictionless authentication without the user
0: even knowing about it. Which is all a good thing, okay? (laughs) Because we don't want the hackers and scammers and bad guys in our stuff. All right, let's go to number two, Uh, pen tester. Uh, What is a pen tester?
1: So again, here a bunch of different uh, uh, words that I want to throw out, and I'll briefly explain. So you might have heard pen tester, red team, blue team, purple team, threat hunter. Um, these are all different uh, uh, groups or subgroups within a security team. Pen tester is somebody who works for an organization and tries to find out if there are any vulnerabilities in their systems. Um, it's, it's and let's make it clear, it's not somebody external from the company, unless the company hires an external pen tester, um, that that does this maliciously. It's somebody who tests the systems to see, are we vulnerable in any way? And then works with the blue team or the defenders in order to patch these vulnerabilities. Now, that's just one layer of defense. You might have heard red teaming. Red teaming is another form of testing where uh, a group within the organization will try to hacking to the systems and stay stay inside and see if they can do any theoretical damage in order to simulate what an attacker would have done. And that's another way to identify different vulnerabilities, not necessarily software vulnerabilities, but maybe these are more process or human vulnerabilities. And then you have things like Threat Hunter. Those are the people who will say, okay, let's let's find evidence of something happening on my network and kind of claw the way back or, or move backwards from that and try to find where it started from. To make it kind of all make sense, I'll tell you from my experience, unfortunately, I had to deal with the flooding in my house. So let's, let's equate that into a house getting flooded. A pen tester is somebody who will stand outside your house and try to flood it and see if there are any holes. <laughs> a red team uh, person would be the one who will try to sneak into your house and break, uh, uh, you know, break something in the water system and let, let it leak and see if you ever find out about it. And the red team would be like the person or oh, sorry, the threat hunter would be like the person coming to your house and saying, hey, there's there's a little bit of water here. Let's see where what the origin is and how it got in here and, and see if we can patch it that way.
0: So do you hire these pen testers? Well, uh, That's a good question. A lot of com- the bigger companies would have
1: pen testers and even um, uh, threat hunters and red teams within their companies. Unfortunately, medium to and small businesses don't have the budget for it. Also, it's very hard to find these people and keep them because they're in extremely high demand and with high salaries. And so they would hire external um, advisors or external pen testers and red teamers to come in and help them with this process. There's also software companies that try to emulate and simulate what an attacker would do in your network and do these types of uh, operations uh, automatically.
0: Okay, number three. That's all good stuff. You e. take um, BYOD. Yes, bring your own device. Which that's when you bring your laptop, your phone into an organization, your organization, or maybe you're using at home now because of the pandemic. But the whole idea is that your device needs to be as secure as as it would be inside the office, right?
1: You you hit the nail on the head. I I couldn't say it better. And again, you mentioned the most important thing is BYOD used to be this, hey, you know what, you can bring your own device connected to the network and we'll secure it with some software or, or not. Today, it's not even a question. With working from home, everybody's bringing their own devices, sometimes whether they even know it or not, or even if their organizations know about it or not, because If you're connected to a network that might have a device that's, you know, a Wi-Fi device or a printer or whatever it is, and now you're connecting to your corporate network with these devices on the same network, you're bringing a lot of stuff in. And so, yes, just as you mentioned, I think that was the most important thing. I was going to say this is this device has to be as secure as if it was in the corporate organization
0: organization network. So how do you make sure that your device is secure? I mean, and let's say that you are a small business and you don't have a so-called IT person or IT genius, as I like to refer to John and Jeremy in our studios, because they are amazing.
1: Uh, so if you are a small business and you're trying to secure devices, device, there's, there's very uh, uh, common, you know, best practices to secure devices from the basic things like keeping them all patched, making sure there's security software on them, and so on. But today, a lot of uh, a lot of organizations are moving from that to something that we'll discuss in a couple of minutes, that is an approach or an architectural approach of uh, uh, a zero trust. Because there are a lot of problems. It's not just with the computers themselves. It's also with the inherent trust that we provide to third parties and companies that we have and, and rely on for day-to-day activity.
0: Now I want to pin in that. Zero trust security models are a great way to protect your business. I actually have a really funny story coming up about my own company, our network, and it stars my husband, and it just goes to show you why zero trust models can make the world a difference. You're also gonna learn more about how you can deal with data breaches and just where the terms black hat and white hat hackers come from. Okay, I'm gonna give you a hint. These terms come from old cowboy films, so stay right where you are. Fishing attempts are common. Companies are constantly dealing with this problem. So are you and me, right? I mean, but what exactly is a phishing attempt? Just so that we're on the same page. That's when criminals pretend to be someone in your company. Maybe it's from a company that you do business with or not. But if you fall for the phishing email, you're toast. So tell us more about that, Ita. Uh
1: So while it is challenging, I would say for the basic level, there's some good pra- uh, uh, you know best practices out there. But we're moving to a much more... Uh, a secure uh, approach today in ZTNA.
0: Yeah, you know, and, and it's really interesting because a lot of companies are doing now what's called penetration testing, which is what you already spoke about, mm-hmm. without necessarily using those words. But we actually did that at the studios because we wanted to see, like, if if somebody got a phishing email from Gmail, who would actually fall for it? Okay, so mm-hmm. Jeremy sent it all out, and he said, okay, we had two people fall for it, and I'm like who are they he goes well i'm not really supposed to say but i'll tell you okay cuz you know like you own the place i'm like yeah i want to know who it is cuz that means we need to do more education Well, one was uh, a guy who's a little bit older and, you know, so we spoke to him. But the other person was my husband. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you fell for a (laughs) phishing email, you know, asking your password. And so, you know, it doesn't matter what size your company is, is that you can – there are several websites or places you can go to set up what's called these penetration testing. Because if you don't know where the vulnerabilities are, then you don't know – what you have to fix before something bad can happen, right? Um, which, which
1: exactly? Okay, I'll mention this a little bit later, but it's also it's a, it's also important that it, it, it used to be like, oh, we need to make sure that our VPs are covered. Well, if you look at a lot of the breaches that we see today, the breach didn't happen from some executive; it came from somebody a little bit lower in the ranks who clicked on that phishing email and. Due to the fact that we don't have zero trust today and that we, people are given access to a lot of resources that they may not necessarily need, attackers take advantage of it. But I'll discuss a little bit later.
0: All right. Let's go into white hat and black hat hackers. Of course, you know, this actually comes from those old spaghetti westerns where the good cowboy wore the white hat and the bad cowboy wore the black hat. And it's pretty much still kind of the same thing. But now we're talking more about technology. Yeah,
1: so uh, white hat and black hat, uh, and now let's start with the term hackers. I know some, some people will, will fight and die on the hill for this definition, but hackers does not mean a bad guy. Hackers are people who try to play around with technology, push the limits, see if they can do have the technology do something uh, that it's not supposed to do. Not just computers, you know, vending machines. If you're familiar with all the uh, very old loft industries, stories and, and all those er- early hacker groups, um, so it's not necessarily uh, bad people. They were given kind of a bad name, but hackers is – I would argue that a lot of people become hackers as soon as something becomes inconvenient to them. They'll find a way to cheat the system in order to make life easier for them. Um, so White Hat uh, white hat is, a, as you mentioned, a reference to security researchers who work with the law or within the boundaries of, of the law. Uh, they're some, similar to what we described before, pen testers, red team uh, um, hackers, whatever it is they work in order to secure and do the good stuff. Uh, black hat is referred to uh, the criminal side or the threat actors uh, that do these things uh, for whatever it is, nation state actors. Uh, t- well, I don't know if we should go to nation state actors, but definitely uh, uh, fraud and uh, online uh, crime. And and so it's co- the constant battle between the black and, and white hackers, if you if you wanna call it that way, but it's really Uh, The attackers, the defenders, those on the side of the law, those who are on the uh, on on the defending side. And it's something that we constantly run into. And of course, there's also conferences named after that. And you'll see this jargon, uh, a lot being thrown. You know, this white hat hacker discovered this vulnerability and reported it or this black hat group actually
0: used the vulnerability and did damage. All right. So we're buzzing along here, which is all great stuff. Zero trust. Hmm. We can use that in many sentences for many aspects of our life. <laughs> but, uh, but right. so,
1: so so zero trust is something a concept. It's not. It's been used a lot now. It's not new. It's about I'd say almost ten years uh, old by now, um, and it it has several uh, basic concepts. Um, but in 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 the gist of it is, you know, you can't really trust any device. You have to call a device or a person or transaction, you have to explicitly verify everything. Where did this come from? It came from all the breaches that we've seen and been exposed to where attackers actually use the trust. Oh, uh, uh, you know, here's a third party who's connecting to me. I know that device or I know that person. Um, they can come in into my uh, network. And that's a huge problem. Again, I'm, very, I'm simplifying this. Of course, it's much more deep. There are three core concepts. One talks about always trust. I always uh, verify never trust, uh, list privilege access. So even if you are on my network, you don't get access to everything. It's only on a need-to-know basis. And the third one is assume breach, meaning always hunt for stuff that's already on your network. And those three basic concepts are what makes up zero trust, which, as I mentioned, says Discusses the topics of hey, you don't allow everybody everything; only give them access that they need, and always verify any transaction or connection, even if you've seen this person, device, process in the past.
0: And, and you know, and that's a really good point because one of the things that we do routinely at the studios is that we evaluate who really needs access to what, and did we give grant? Did we grant access to a particular system, file, network, what have you? For a one-time use, but then we forgot to we, we forgot to take those privileges back, right? So it's a good idea to to periodically to look at your policies, see who has access to files, see if they really need to have access, and more goes and it goes beyond just if somebody leaves the company. Exactly. All right, number seven: VPN, a virtual private network. It's like an encryption. It's a it's a tunnel, if you will. So as your data is traveling from point A to point B, that somebody can't intercept it.
1: Exactly. But let me bust some, some myths that I keep hearing about VPN. I once had a person in a, in a training ask me if VPN uh, means that I'm secure. No, it means that you are private. It doesn't mean necessarily that you're secure. Keep in mind, if you're using a VPN and you're going to a website with malware, malicious software on it, it will still download. It would download it securely, (laughs) privately, but VPN does not necessarily mean security. Now the problem that we have today, and here I'm gonna put together a couple of the issues we talked about, uh, people working from home, right? Bring your own device. So a lot of companies are using VPNs today uh, for their uh, uh, employees and users. The problem is VPNs was not designed for this. It was designed to be used by some of the people, some of the time. When I go to an airport, open my laptop, use a VPN to secure my connection, connect to uh, my company's resources. It wasn't meant to be used by everybody working from home all the time. Also, keep in mind, VPN does not equal zero trust. Actually, it, it's not connected at all. Because if you're using a VPN and you're gaining access to corporate or, or, or company resources, you're getting access to everything or whatever is granted. to It doesn't limit you. It doesn't say, oh, you're only on a need-to-know basis. And this is one of the interesting things about the, the difference between VPN and Zero Trust. Zero Trust is something more logical. Why, if Itai is based in Boston and goes to the Boston office, do I need the same access as a developer in the same office? It doesn't make sense. It has to be granted based on what you need to know and what you need to uh, access. So, VPN gives you, as you exactly define it, it secures your connection, you're encrypted, it's private, but it's not uh, necessarily secure access to your resources or secure access to the Internet.
0: And it also doesn't allow your Internet service provider to know everywhere you go if you're using a VPN. So if you're concerned about your ISP and tracking everywhere you go and then maybe landing some additional cookies, Mm -hmm. uh, using a VPN is a good way to avoid that. And while we're on the topic of VPNs, I want to give a quick shout out to one of our sponsors, ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN lets you connect to all sorts of countries, from our neighbors, Canada and Mexico, to faraway spots in Europe and Asia. So in a way, using a VPN, it's kind of like taking a digital vacation. Long before you ever step foot in a foreign country, your digital footprint says, hey, you've already been there. It's kind of interesting, but personally, I'd rather go on a vacation instead of just using ExpressVPN. But of course, that's just me. So far, we've talked about seven pretty big tech cybersecurity buzzwords. So let's move on. All right, number eight, uh, synthetic content. What is that? What do you mean by that?
1: That is a big one because we're seeing more and more of it. And I am hinting towards something which I'll get to in a second, but I'll start with the basics of misinformation and disinformation that we might see today. You see all kinds of data out there that has been manipulated. Sometimes in... Very simple format, like, for example, taking a video and cutting it short, or, for example, something that I ran into just a couple of days ago, a video of uh, a military operation, and the headline of the video says it happened, let's say, in the Middle East in this case, but it actually was something from Europe from about 20 years ago. So that's content that has been changed. Synthetic content is content that was created with uh, things like deepfakes, and actually, we got a brutal reminder just about two weeks ago what can happen with synthet- synthetic content. Uh, there was a fraud of 30, I want to say one or five million dollars where somebody used a synthetic voice of a CEO to persuade, uh, uh um, to persuade twa- someone in a bank to send money due to a oh, transaction yes. that they claim was yeah. happening.
0: Yeah that uh, well, well if it was, was the same thing that actually happened I believe in Germany where the guy got a phone call and and it sounded just like his boss. Yep. And said listen we need exactly. you to transfer a quarter million dollars and if your boss tells you to transfer a quarter million dollars and you're the CFO okay you're going to transfer the quarter million dollars you know. And so but the sense of but the but it had a red flag it was a sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. We need to do this right now. Also another red flag is that the CEO hardly ever called the CFO at all. Nonetheless, just to say, send a quarter of a million dollars. But it's really easy to do synthetic voices now. I think, uh, I think they only need like four or five minutes of somebody's voice, and then they can totally replicate it.
1: Exactly. All you need is five minutes of somebody's recording, which is really easy to do, either by interviewing them or going even online and finding it. And you're referring to the one case in Germany, but there's a case in Dubai of $35 million. The quarter Whoa. million was in Germany, but we're talking about $35 million. And this is just a voice synthesis. Now we're going to, we know we were facing the deep fakes uh, that are getting not only more sophisticated and believable, but also easier to uh, generate. And there was a case also uh, this year of um, the uh, Netherlands government. Uh, somebody joined a Zoom call and they thought it was uh, the Ukrainian I think, opposition Leader, it wasn't. It was a deepfake of them, and so oh, we, wow. we're 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 in a very interesting situation today, where you, you know we used to say seeing is believing,
0: not anymore. <laughs> That's true. All right, number nine, botnet, bad, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yes.
1: Botnet, very bad. Um, You run into this uh, definition in in many articles. Botnet is simply a way of describing a set of computers that has been controlled by someone. How does that happen? People get infected by a virus, a piece of malware. The attacker now has access to their computer, not necessarily even access, but it has a certain level of control over those computers. They are his, uh, in some terms it's called uh, his zombies, or botnet what can you do with a botnet? A lot of different things. Some botnets are used to, to commit financial fraud. Some botnets, uh, one of the most well-known ones, the Mirai botnets, didn't even target computers. They targeted home IP cameras. Because these IP cameras have an IP and they're online, the attacker used all these devices, hundreds of thousands, if not more of that, in the Mirai botnet, um, to actually launch a DDoS, a denial of service attack, against the internet and nearly took down the internet. The, I think they took down several of the DNS servers. Um, so that's a botnet, it can be used for many different things. And if you go into the criminal underground and investing investigator, you'll see people sometimes sell different botnets of different sizes.
0: So how much is a botnet?
1: I haven't inquired into the numbers uh, uh, lately, but actually you don't buy them, you rent them. And so the, the, the uh, costs, uh, well, a little bit way, a little bit back when I looked into it, were several thousands of dollars. It also depends if the botnet is distributed or localized, because for somebody, for example, who wants specifically to target or commit fraud in, say, Italy, an Italian botnet is much more valuable than just computers spread all around the world.
0: Okay, finally, number ten. This is a big one. Oh boy, uh, vulnerability and exploits versus. Uh, Computer glitches, as so many companies like to say, it was just a glitch in the system, I swear. What happened?
1: (laughs) Okay, so you'll read about these uh, terms as well. Vulnerabilities, exploits, patching. Um, I'll start off with a sentence that I learned early on in my uh, security career. Uh, Not every software is vulnerable. Not every vulnerability is exploitable. And not every exploit is usable. But when these things do align, you know, then comes trouble. What do I mean by not every software is, is, uh, is vulnerable? If I write a piece of code that just types to the screen, hello, 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 endlessly, it's probably not exploitable, there's not, in, not much you can do with it. Now, let's say we have a piece of code that actually has a, a, a vulnerability in it, has something that you can do. Well, not every vulnerability um, can be exploited because if I have a vulnerable piece of code, but it's in my own computer locked in my room and not connected to the internet, such as, and I'm not just saying this, you know, some some, uh, financial systems are just like that, then you can't really uh, uh, exploit it. And then not every exploit is usable. Let's say I find a piece of code and it's vulnerable and I can exploit it if all it does is make, for example, the computer crash instead of me being able to steal money from somebody's account if I'm an attacker, then it's not really usable. But these are the the, the kind of the um, uh, building blocks for, a breach that you sometimes read about, right? There's a system that may be, that may be unpatched. You know, it, it has a vulnerability in the code. The vulnerability is known, but you didn't patch it. You didn't update it. That's why, hey, always update your system, operating systems, phones, whatever it is. When there's something comes out, patch it, because if it's unpatched, it's very easy for attackers today to scan the Internet and find these unpatched systems and then try to exploit them and then use that exploit to commit you know, whatever it is they want to do.
0: And so is there anything we can do aside from updating our systems and having great security software, using a VPN? Uh, is there anything else we can do as far, as far as just like common sense rules, right? I mean, don't open attachments, don't click on links, you know, check the web addresses, don't respond to any phishing emails or spam text messages. I mean, there just seems to be so much that people really need to be aware of.
1: It is. And, you know, and the, as, as the more we grow aware, also the attackers grow aware of what we know and try to overcome it. Um, I'm sure most of us would not fall for the early, very early phishing attacks, but today they're, they're, they're crafted. They're much better looking. There's better grammar in them. Um, and, and like you said, one of the things they like to do in many cases is, is a sense of urgency. They also always use different types of social engineering techniques and, and, ways and psychological ways to kind of affect the person to do whatever they want. A lot of it, as you mentioned, has to do with common sense. It has to do with, you know, like you said, don't click on stuff you're not familiar with. You're getting, for example, an email from uh, uh, the bank. The bank will never send you an email, but you know what you think they did? Don't click on it. You know, call the bank or log on to their website. You type in the, the URL, don't click on it and see if there really is a message waiting for you or whatever it is. Um, so, It has to do with a combination of two. And I think the software that we're starting to see today, along with some of the technologies that we mentioned and some of the concepts that we mentioned, help us, you know, get better at it. There's always going to be vulnerabilities in people, processes, or technology, uh, but we are, no pun intended, we're trying to patch these uh, along the way and and try to make our our environment much safer.
0: So, Itai. um Before we let you leave, tell us more about Cato Networks and tell us what you guys do and tell us how we might get in contact with you.
1: Sure. So Cato Networks is is the world's first uh, uh, SASE platform. SASE stands for Secure Access Service Edge. And we actually provide networking and security to uh, organizations. It's a converged solution, which allows uh, companies to get a cloud-native solution that includes both security and networking. It's something relatively new, but if you read about it, it's getting a lot of traction and it's actually a pretty amazing uh, approach to uh, securing systems. Um, our website is uh, dot com. I'm on LinkedIn as well. Happy to answer questions and uh, always happy uh, to be uh, with, on the show with you, uh, Kim, uh, and share the knowledge.
0: Eita, you're amazing. Thank you for spending so much of your time with us and your knowledge. And when you come up with 10 more terms, you give me a call back, all right? (laughs) Okay. We'll do that. (laughs) All right, thank you. And um, have a great holiday. Thank you, you too. All right, smarty pants. Now with your new techno wizardry, let's see if you get this joke. Where did the hackers go when they escaped? I have no idea. They just ran somewhere. Okay, I'm trying to make this podcast entertaining, but if you learn just one thing, do us right, no ghosting. You know what that means, of course. Ghosting is abruptly cutting off contact with someone without giving that person any warning or explanation. So that means if you are checking out our social media feeds, but you're not following us, well, then you're ghosting us. And... You don't want to do that so on instagram.com slash kim commando hit that big follow button twitter.com slash kim commando and i know you're so smart facebook.com slash yes kim commando and while i'm still on the shameless self-promotion i want you to leave a great five-star review and say a few kind words about our podcast wherever you get them it helps other people say when they're checking out podcasts hey i'd like to listen to that too Thanks a ton. And if you have any comments about our podcast, you can send them to podcast at commando.com, which better be nice because, well, a whole slew of people in the studios are going to see that email. Once again, it's podcast at commando.com. And thanks for listening.